Welcome back to Growth Colony. For those of you who are first time listeners, you'll be hearing from B2B founders, CMOs, and marketing leaders. We chat about the newest and most effective tools and strategies in the B2B space. I'm Alex Hipwell with Xgrowth and your co-host for this podcast, where we go candid with our guest successes and failures, so you don't make the same mistakes. At least hopefully you don't. Let's dive in. Today, we're going to be talking about remote work, how to manage your remote work, and also how to stay productive and basically hitting those KPIs, the marketing KPIs, when when you're in the, the whole quarantine ISO remote situation. So today we got three awesome speakers uh, and uh, and panel members. We have uh, Bowden Westover, who's, uh, who's a former basketball player in Melbourne, Melbourne Tigers, but he's also right now the global marketing director uh, at Catapult, a amazing company started right here in Melbourne now have a global presence with marketing team across the world and and Bowden manages the whole marketing team so there's going to be plenty of insight coming there we've got Joe Palmer and Joe is the founder and managing director of Pointer a company that helps organizations and individuals leveraging remote work Joe kind of brings the essence of remote work. She is um, she is herself quite well, not quite remote, but she is like remote as well, and and manages a remote team. So she brings so much insight in terms of like what works and what doesn't work, and how to be super efficient on that front. And we have Tim Baxter, the growth manager um, at uh, who gives a crap, and uh, and Tim is also going to bring a lot of insight and a lot of value to the conversation. Considering who gives a crap is a completely remote company, regardless of Corona. So, um, so that's the that's the panel that we have for today. On that note, let's jump into it. Thanks again, everybody, for for joining. And I did a very quick intro, but I would love to go around and hear from from you guys as well to little to tell us a little bit about yourself. Do it in thirty seconds and a little bit about your company. Bowden, shall we start with you? So I manage a team of 10 uh, around the world. Most of our team is in the UK and US, so very familiar with remote um, management, I guess. Um, so working with Catapult, sports technology company, um, you might know us as the little GPS device that goes on the back of AFL players. That's how most Australians know us, and we track like speed and distance and um, pretty basic stuff like that, and it goes a lot deeper for a sports scientist. Um, we also have video analysis tools and athlete management platforms for uh, professional teams all over the world. Amazing. Um, Joe. Cool. So, um, yes, based relatively remotely um, on a farm about half an hour south of Wagga. Um, so, Pointer, we are a capacity building company. So, we work with communities, businesses, and individuals so that they can leverage remote work. So, um, I'm really, I got into this space in a rather random way. I'm a, a teacher by trade, but fell into the sort of remote workspace because I had all these very clever girlfriends who had married farmers and had left corporate careers and were twiddling their thumbs out in the bush or were working in jobs they were completely overqualified for. So I thought this is ridiculous. Like we need to be able to connect them with jobs that they can do from anywhere and um, talk about a global pandemic to put that front and centre. So I run a completely remote team. Um, most of my team are on farm around the country in three three different states and um, 
yeah, got lots of experience dealing with people doing this long term, like who gives a crap from the start and then through to um, businesses who have never worked or hired this way before as well. Awesome. Awesome. Tim. Um, yeah, so from Who Gives a Crap, we make eco-friendly toilet paper and donate half our profits to provide sanitation for those in need. And so our ultimate goal is to make sure that everyone has has access to a toilet by 2050. Um, and as mentioned by Joe, like we, we've started out from uh, remote from day one and have been kind of learning and stumbling and hopefully getting better as we've gone along. So um, looking forward to having a chat about this and hopefully being able to impart some, some wisdom today, if we have any. <laughs> some wisdom indeed. Let's do it. Let's jump into some questions and, uh, and, and kick it off. So the first question that I want to ask is, like, when was the introduction to remote working uh, for, for you as an individual to, to basically go on remote? Was that something recent? Is that something that uh, this, this pandemic, um, for, for some of you, that would not be recent, but uh, yeah, when was the first kind of impact of, uh, of remote work? Bowden, what, when was the first time and what was that, what was that like? Half years. So two years into that, we're at about 30 staff. Um, so we're at about 350 now. But two years in, um, we were still very much a very, very small company in, in South Melbourne. Um, I got the opportunity to move over to the US. We had one person over there, um, just a sports scientist that was kind of doing everything. And my boss said, just go find a spot, like set yourself up and eventually we'll have an office. So he said, just pick a location, moved over there with my wife, chose, chose San Francisco initially, um, partly because it was a bit closer time zone wise um, to deal with Australia. Um, I had family relatively close and then a lot of tech media. Um, in the Silicon Valley area. So it seemed like a, an obvious choice. I only ended up staying for three weeks and they, they moved me to Dallas. And then I, two weeks later, I got moved to Chicago where I ended up staying for about three and a half years. But all through that time, um, there was a good nine month period where we didn't have an office. Um, we, we slowly started adding staff. Um, and then I was on the phone, obviously, every single morning to, to people in Australia. Um, and then we started growing the team really quickly. And now we've got about 120 people in the US. Um, and a, a well-established office in Boston. But th those early days, that first sort of year, um, it was it was 100% remote and the majority of it was outside the US time zone. So getting up really early to speak to people in Australia and then staying up really late to, to talk to people in the UK. I still do that today, just in a different time zone. <laughs> yeah, I know. Chicago, that uh, that time zone alignment that you carefully was trying to curate with San Francisco went out the window when, with the move to Chicago. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. Now, Joe, you, you mentioned that, you know, you kind of went and you, you ended up in farm and you noticed a lot of other people. And that was kind of, was that the starting point for you to, to, uh, to do remote work? Uh, no, not initial. Um, three, that's when we started, when I started Pointer about three years ago, that was when all, um, I went all in with that, but I've actually, this is the third company that I've started. And, um, the first of which was a tutoring and school holiday program company that I um, started in a town called Holbrook, a small town in southern New South Wales. And I um, that sort of exploded very quickly and that that filled up and I then started in um, two other rural towns. And so I was managing 30 teachers remotely over three towns and sort of over sort of three or 400 Ks um, in a relatively quick 
period of time. So that was my first time um, managing people remotely. And, oh, my God, it was a train wreck to watch behind the scenes if you'd seen it. Jeez, it was not pretty. Um, but then I also started a um, an event management company in the ag space with a girlfriend. And, again, we were both living on farms. We didn't have a office and we had clients all over Australia that we were working for and doing event management and sponsorship management. So it was really talking around that event management company that I thought, oh, when it's humming, I'll be able to put all of these girlfriends to work. And it was a girlfriend that said to me, she's like, well, you know, that's a business idea in itself. And I was like, oh, yeah, like I haven't got anything else to do with my time. So launch pointer on my poor second child's first birthday so it um it has been this sort of i say gradual but then i don't know it's come from a whole heap of different angles but pointed being that very strategic stuff with the remote um how we've done things um whereas the other sort of i sort of fell into it a bit with the other two gotcha companies. gotcha okay no that's that's awesome and and tim what about um what about you like was <clears throat> Starting with who gives a crap and then looking at, hey, all of our, we don't have an office. You got to work from home from the beginning. Was that the first time that first, like, firstly, was that the first time that you got exposed to remote work at the extreme end? Or or was that something that you were familiar with? Uh, how did that how did that work for you? I, I started a little marketing agency about two years before working at who gives a crap. And that was all remote. Um, so that was a, that was probably the, the, I wouldn't say jarring introduction, but that was the introduction to remote working. But by the time I got to who gives a crap, it was, um, one of probably low, a little bit lower down the list, but one of the main reasons why when I went to who gives a crap. Um, but it's one of those things where once you kind of have a taste for it, it's a little bit tricky to, to go back and not have that flexibility. So, it, it it seems quite natural to me now. I think it's going up on seven years, maybe a little bit more since I've been remote. Um, so like Joe, like, like like other people on the call, like it, it just kind of feels like the natural thing to do now. Gotcha. I would be okay. the worst employee now. <laughs> if someone tried to make me, or even I just think about it every now and then going back to school, like homeschooling has been the pits and I am a teacher during this whole thing, but it's made me think like, oh, my God, I would literally be the worst if I had to be going back into a, into an office or into school now. Yeah, one of, one of the requirements would be, hey, I'm going to be working three days a week from home, so is that is that okay with you guys? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine that would be an interesting conversation with a company that, at least until before Corona that didn't have an experience where, or very limited experience with remote work. Okay. So with the first question that I want to ask is, um, well, I mean, we asked the first question, the, the, the practical question that I want to ask is around how do you, how do you keep people productive? Right. Um, you, uh, you mentioned Bowden that you have 10 people across UK and, um, and, and US uh from from your side tim everybody's remote some in the us some here in australia some in the uk as well and joe you across three states right so the first thing is you know from a um maybe maybe from a we'll look at it from a broader perspective joe from your from your point of view of how do you keep people on track with some of the targets that, that you have and then let's jump into how do we how do you do that specifically maybe for marketing so Joe, you wanna you wanna go first? Like, how do you how do you do that? How do you make sure that everybody's on track and everybody's um, uh, getting get, hitting their targets? 
Um, I think the first thing is to do some pretty serious navel-gazing at how you are as a worker yourself and how you manage people and how you are willing to actually enable people to do their job. I think that a lot of the businesses that we deal with, that they're coming to us out of desperation in that they haven't been able to find someone to fill a job because they may be in a small community or um, that they just haven't been able to find the talent that they need, um, but they're then fixated on how will I know they're working if I can't see them? How will I know they're not doing washing? Or how do I know that they're not going to school assemblies or all of these sorts of things? Um, so that mindset piece of the manager themselves I think is a really important thing to have a think about. But then when you're setting your team up, um, I have no idea where my team is at any one time. Like, and that's just something that I have had to get used to and you need to be able to trust them. So if you're having those questions about people when you're first putting people on or you're first letting people be a bit more flexible with where they're working is that if you're even concerned about them not being productive when they're working remotely, then they shouldn't be on your team. They shouldn't be in your company. They shouldn't be working for you. So I think that's a good rule of thumb is that if you're even having those concerns before you even dip your toe in, I would have some pretty serious looks at who that person is or your relationship with them or what you've done to get to that stage. Um, but I think in order to just give your team the the tools and the um, the structure to be autonomous. And I think that that's the thing. You just need to be very clear. Communication is absolutely key, but it just needs to be really key, clear with your team that these are the things that need to be done today, this week, this month, quarterly or whatever for the whole team to be able to be um, achieving goals, KPIs and all of those sorts of things. And I think the communication piece is a really, really strong thing because in order to be autonomous, you need to have access to all the things you need to be able to do your job autonomously, but you also need to have some lines in the sand and some guidelines around how you communicate internally. So if you're really jammed on something that needs to happen in order for other people to be able to do their job, um, just rules around um, your, your, your etiquette in how you're communicating internally. So Slack is for things you need an instant reaction to. Um, an email can be something that, you know what, it doesn't matter if you don't get back to me for a couple of days. Um, getting in a call um, when things um, really need to be um, steamrolled along. Like I think just really um, being clear with how, when and where to communicate to be able to, to remove roadblocks so that your team can be working autonomously. Because I think that's the only way that you can have the confidence in your team is just knowing that they've got the things that they need to be able to to um to do their job. Makes sense. Makes sense. And uh, the, all of that makes makes perfect sense. So you you bring up the the component of trust and 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 Bowden, I definitely would love to get your your thought on this. You know, a lot of a lot of companies when when you all of a sudden talk about remote, they think about these draconian measures of hey, we're going to measure their time on their on their laptop and whether the cursor is moving and you know, what kind of tasks are they doing and that's going to get reported back to us and as a manager, right, and managing a team, how do you what what are the maybe the, the core principles that you go by that enables your team to, to basically perform, right? What have you put in place that, uh, that you've seen success, pre predominantly because there's a, there's a remote team? 
Yeah, I mean, the stuff that you just mentioned, like logging hours and everything, like I hate that stuff. Like Joe mentioned, the idea of going back to the office doesn't think she can do that. Like I, I couldn't work at a company where like hours are logged and all that sort of stuff. So to me, it kind of comes back to like the difference between like what a what a manager does and how you see management and what like a, a leader does. And I don't want to say anything wanky, like I don't want to be seen as a manager, I want to be seen as a leader, but just the the principles of leadership where you're sort of showing someone why they're doing it and the end point and then just letting them figure out how to get there themselves and just sort of guiding them along the way is to me a lot more important especially in a remote setting than trying to figure out how we can do things better and faster and cheaper which is sort of in line with traditional view of management um so a lot of that starts with the tools you have in place so we're pretty strict with um how we use internal tools so we've pretty much outlawed email internally so that's just for dealing yeah, with so uh, yeah that so that that's helped a lot um i wake up to way less emails wake up to a lot more slack messages but uh, we use slack pretty religiously um we use uh, asana for all project management hubspot for our marketing automation um and then zoom for team calls and, and one-to-ones um but the, the integration of those is pretty important so like on slack because we're majority of our business is b2b a lot of stuff is reactive coming from sales guys and support guys around the world so we have an ask marketing channel on slack so something inbound to the marketing team will come through that channel we have it integrated with asana so it automatically turns into a project and then we can uh, we can track it out from there and uh, assign tasks so um, everyone has full visibility into everything that's going in Um, from the marketing perspective we we publish monthly marketing reports company-wide we publish our, our quarterly plans and then everyone within the team knows exactly what's going on and then I think it just comes down to treating everyone as individuals. Like it, if someone needs that one hour, one-to-one where they just need to ask you 50 questions, then then do that for them. If, they, if they're not comfortable on a video call and they prefer Slack messages throughout the week, then like cater to what people need. So um, one final point, we, we use insight profiling quite a bit at Catapult to understand where they, where they sit and how they like to communicate and um, what type of personality they have. So that stuff's been really interesting from my perspective because if someone gets their energy from people and they're struggling working from home at the moment, um, like a Zoom call is probably the best we can do. But if someone is a little bit more blue and um, a little bit more introverted, then maybe they just want to chat over Slack or maybe they just want to converse through Asana. So um, don't treat everyone the same, especially working remotely because everyone has their own quirks. That's really interesting. So is that like a like a questionnaire that you would like a personality evaluation questionnaire that you like give to to staff? Is that what it is or something it is. different? Yeah, so it's basically a big colored wheel and it just maps you um in one of four colors. So obviously everyone's not all one color. So it's it's just that variation of colors across the board and then you get a huge report at the end of it and tells you how to communicate with them, their likes, dislikes, strengths, weaknesses and it's creepy how accurate it is. So I read everyone on my team. I read their reports um, sort of once a quarter, just to remind myself on how they like to work, and then you sort of deal with them um, in their own special way. That's very interesting. And what is it called again? It's called Insights. So it's Insights. A, yeah. So it's very. I mean, they're they're all quite similar. Um, but yeah, Insights is the one we use. It's somewhat expensive, but it's worth it. Um, we've found a lot of value in it. Fantastic, fantastic, Tim. What are your thoughts? You know what. What have you? Um, what are you? What do you have you put in place to make the team more productive? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd echo the first few points, which is the the people you get into the business. Every, everyone wants to do good work, 
for the most part. Um, and so you normally just have to trust that they want to be productive and it's about giving them whatever they can to do the best work. But in terms of us, like, find the best way to be creative is to we have a bit of a motto in the company, which is stay scrappy. And so the idea is that just start the process and then refine from there. So we, for example, um, between two teams internally, we realised that the communication wasn't as good as it could be. And so basically we would just iterate that week on week, month after month. And as a result, a year later, the teams are now in a much different position to where they were a year ago. Um, and that was all came from just asking what each people wanted from the from the exchange and then working on it. Um, so in terms so, of making- Sorry, Tim. So going back to that, sorry, uh, going back, can you exactly tell us like what was the problem a year ago? So the problem that we had a year ago is that we were briefing um, uh, the the inter- inside the marketing team. There was the marketing side and the creative side and what was happening is the briefs that were going from marketing and creative weren't, um, being matched by the, the the data that we had. And so we'd often put out a brief and that would come back was not really what we were looking for. And then there was some miscommunication because it was via remote conditions. And so what we realized is that to get to our, our end goal, um, we needed to make sure that we had a clearer sense of what we, what we were acquiring. So what we did is we just set up a, 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 a weekly catch up. <clears throat> and so what we do is instead of just handing a brief, we would actually brainstorm in the same room together and then move the brief forward from there with weekly check-ins. And as a result, that's all it took. And all of a sudden the the, the productive work was at a nine out of 10, whereas it was previously like a five out of 10. And so the way that we kind of reverse engineer to that, like the way that we decide what is good and what is not, is we use what's called um, OKRs, which stands for Objective Key Results, which is a really popular method um, developed by Google. And it's, it's um, a lot of businesses use it. But the idea is you have a yearly objective or a quarterly objective, and then you just have what's called key results to get to that process. So you might have an objective of making 500 widgets, and then your key results are how do you actually get to that aspect. And so when we had the two... The, the briefing process wasn't quite getting us to our overall objective, we changed what our results were going to be. And so the results, actually a key result for us was making sure that we were meeting once a week, um, either via Slack or via Zoom. So I'm a really firm believer, which is both discussed before, is um, you get, I'm a firm believer that everyone wants to do amazing work. They really want to do the best they can, but you just need to allow them to do that. And so, some people prefer to do it um, with their hand held and others don't. And so a lot of people who end up in remote work tend to be in the more remote, into the more independent side of that. And so you basically need to commute, communicate the goals and then help them as much as they can to get there. And um, I've, the idea of tracking someone's time on a computer is, is it's, it kind of misses the point um, to a large degree of what, the actual end game is like the end game is to have a result. How you get there is not necessarily um, of, of huge difference. Yeah. Gotcha. And I think as far as like um, people worrying about productivity with people working remotely. And I say this not in a pandemic situation when you've got family and spouse and kids and the whole shebang happening at the same time. But I think that what we see, and I see it even with my own team, it's not the lack of productivity. It's like the, 
burnout and the overtime that they do, they're just that not switch, switching off. And so that on the other end of things is so important to have those boundaries in place where, like, your notifications are off on the weekend, you are not in Slack on the weekend, you are not doing things like this if you have done what you needed to do to get through the week. Um, because, yeah, that's that's a far bigger problem than people slacking off is not the issue really in general with remote. It's people just going too hard the opposite direction. Yeah, gotcha. I would yeah. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, for our business, uh, I don't like to say it as a as an advice because it's not always easy to, to add it on afterwards, but we are lucky that our business is based around a core set of beliefs. And so people who are into the business want to... Um, do the best they can to reach our goals. And as a result, as Joe said, the thing we have to do, keep careful, is you have your laptop at home and when you have highly um, productive type A personality people who want to do a really good job, it's actually the reverse. You normally need to do more um, discussions and communication around closing the laptop and and shutting down for, for the day. So um, I think this the fallacy of that if someone's at home um, and they're just going to sleep all day and do nothing, um, is comes from probably more of the person who's saying it. It's a lack of trust, and I think it's it's um it's a very interesting. Whenever I hear someone say that, it says more about the person um, who's saying it rather than the actual employee or the teammate. Hundred percent. I love it. I love it, and I and I really love that you mentioned OKRs and specifically measuring people based on results and not effort. Right, of saying this is the result that we want you to get. And you figure out how you want to get it, and I, I trust that you're going to you're going to go there. Has there been other things that um, that you've any of you have implemented? We've touched on some of them in order to make remote work more effective. Um, so you know, one of the things, for example, we put in place uh, pretty early on when we went, we were kind of like half remote, and we went full remote after Corona. Um, one of the things that we we probably should have done even before that, but it became absolutely crucial was we have our standups in the morning, but then we have a sit down at, at the end of the day, right? We're, we're at the beginning of the day. People say like, these are the things that I want to, I'm planning to do today. And then at the end of the day, we kind of hold each other accountable and say, all right, we said that we're going to do that. Did we do it? And it, this, this was like, you know, a very simple um, change. It was an additional 30 minute meeting, but it really transformed um, the, the the level of proactivity among the team. But has there been other things that comes to mind that you've implemented out of problems that you faced, um, you know, from from going remote that you've put in place to to address those uh, those issues? Does anything come to mind for anyone? I think communication is still the thing where it's often the the, the downfall for people, and quite early on, like we've got. Um, We've got a one pager that is our communication etiquette with like the like I was saying the how, when, where of communication. But just things like, okay, if you're in a, in a chat group or channel and you go back and forth more than three times, you get on a video call. Because then what was ending up happening was that sometimes someone would need something and they're messaging away and someone else is like, okay, well I get my deep work done then um, at that time of the day. And this person's giving me the shits because they keep pinging me for things that they need, whereas I'm trying to work on something. And so they then respond with quite a short message back or whatever. And then someone gets offended and things are misconstrued. Whereas if you're back and forth and you jump in a video call, that, that lost in translation is reduced very dramatically and you can you can see. But just really 
um, something else that we did was was actually um, as a team say this is when I work best. These are the things that I have to sort of work around, like with kids' drop-offs and bits and pieces like this. I get my stuff done from 9 till 11.30 in the morning or someone else might be like, well, do you know what? I get most of my stuff done from like 7.30 at night and knock over the things that I don't need you guys for. So being aware of when your team actually does that work um, is a really good way to then not have issues happen when people start getting miffed with lack of response time and all of those sorts of things. Okay. No, that's, that's good. That's great. Thank you very much for that, Joe. Um, okay. And my God, we, we are, we have an engaged audience. Uh, let me just quickly have a look over here. We've got Paul. So the first question comes from Paul, um, initial problems you've had, is there, you know, maybe, maybe Bowden, is there, is there anything else or actually anybody else that, that comes to mind in terms of, Hey, this was a problem that we had with remote work. We've touched on multiple of them, but is there anything else that comes to mind? that I've noticed since because the other two panelists that have been doing this for a lot longer so this is a bit fresher for me so I think I'm in week nine of working remotely um, in this instance but um, one thing I've noticed going from an office environment to Slack and Zoom essentially um, is that I speak to my team just as much and like working remotely hasn't impacted our productivity in any way and I think we're all enjoying it and dreading going back to the office in, a little, in, in some ways but um, I think working with other departments, it becomes much more difficult. Um, you can always schedule Zoom calls and do it over Slack, but you just don't run into people in the office and just have that quick three-minute chat, like you have to put it in the calendar and all those sorts of things. Um, so we've had a couple issues with like, people in sales and the product department where there's been a miscommunication or um, they've just run with something that we should have been involved with or vice versa um, that I thought would be pretty easy to manage remotely and it hasn't been that easy. Um, so it's just one of those things like Joe mentioned, communication is super important. You have to prioritize it um, when you're not physically together. Um, and I always say like without communication, there's imagination. So if, if you're not talking, if you're not being crystal clear on what's happening, people just assume what, what's happening and, and things go haywire from there. So um, yeah, that cross department, um, communication's probably been the biggest problem I've dealt with, but um, it, it's getting a little bit better as people get used to, to being at home. Mm, gotcha. Tim, how do you address that? How Sorry, do you make sure? Oh, no, no, no. So it's not, not, not necessarily the question, but what, what, um, what uh, uh, Bowden said about, you know, they're having difficulty in terms of department, not, not, not necessarily inside of the marketing department, but communication and, and making sure things are on track with other departments, whether it's finance, whether it's sales, whether it's, you know, have you had any issues with that before? And, and uh, or, or how do you make sure that communication is, is as smooth as your internal team communication? Yep, that's a really good point. We have encountered that problem. Um, and the solution we found with it is using a model called RACI. Um, and the idea is that that determines for any project you have, who is leading it, who needs to be consulted, who is going to be taking part in actually producing the work, and then who is going to report on it. Um, you can find the racing model online. It's, it's free and available. But what that does is you really you need a leader for any project or any issue which is happening. And once that happens, it tends to alleviate 90% of the problems that go with it because that person can be the point person for reporting um, on whatever is happening. So to give you an example, we have um, 
we were out of stock. We ran out of stock when the, the toll paper um, panic buying began. began. And as a result, we've been trying to get toilet paper um, to our customers and those who are on our wait list and those who are in need. And so what happened was we had a core two to three group of people within the business who were the back-in-stock specialists, let's call them, and they would manage all the communication in the company. They would manage all the numbers coming in. They would bring team team members in when they needed to, and then um, they were the core group. And so they became the leader of that topic. And so by doing that, they would make daily reports on Slack um, of where we're at and what needs to happen and then would create the next steps as a result. So normally we found when the the breakdown of communication between cross teams, it was often most of the time as a result of someone not knowing who was leading it or who was the point person. So taking the 20 minutes or half an hour before a project or a situation or an issue arises, say, okay, who's the point person? Who needs to be informed and how do we go for the next steps? Um, we're not really a company that employs too much um, added baggage when it comes to processes. Like we really do like to keep things lean, um, but this that that is a model we found to work really well. And everyone in the company knows it. It's almost like second nature now. So if, if something comes up, it's like, okay, who's the point person? Who do we then need to bring in? Gotcha, gotcha. So racy to the rescue. And and I mean, just just for for clarification for everyone, uh, how how large is is the whole team of who gives a crap? Um, oh, we're doing interviews almost every day. And I, I had two interviews this morning. I think we'll be close to like a hundred, maybe a little bit more that's now. Good. Yep. Um, no, no, that's good. I just wanted yeah. to, for everyone to, to have it like, is it like, is it a, you know, 20 person team or is it a, you know, um, or is it a bigger, bigger team? Yeah. Okay. All right. I want to go through a couple of other questions, Paul. Look, I know you've, you've posted a couple of questions. I want to make sure I go through all everybody else. If we have time, we'll come back to your questions. Um, so there's a question from Peter. We have recently invested in an interactive intranet. Thoughts around this as a tool. So we have a tool question coming up, but uh, any thoughts on, on intranet? Um, we've got one that's not an interactive one in that we literally, um, like we're, we use G Suite for all of our backend stuff, um, and we have a Google site that we call iPointer, very original, but that is just literally our, um, well, it's it's my, me being the founder, it's my hit by the bus contingency plan so that someone can actually pick the company up and keep running it. And so um, I, I think this is just such a, a piece of gold nugget for when you're running, especially a small company. Well, actually, it's completely scalable. I shouldn't say it like that, but... Um, I found that whenever I was doing a task or anything that was repeatable, I would literally record the screen, talk myself through what I was doing, and then that gets uploaded. The video just sits in the Google site, which is completely private to only people that are in our um, in our organisation. And so you can literally, it's got a search function, and it just is like it pops up in like their web browser and they can search for how to write a blog post in WordPress or something like that and they can watch the video of me doing it. Sometimes if I feel energised, I'll do written instructions as well. But um, it, again, has just been what we have used so that my team, anytime someone I was doing something where if I could palm that off onto someone else to do and then they were going to come back and ask me questions about it, I just answered as many questions as I could about it so that they could then be autonomous. So, again, giving them the tools and the things that they need to be autonomous so that they can just get on with their work and without coming to um, to me. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Um, there's another question from 
Tiarna, you're testing me. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I'm curious about managing upward. I'm struggling to communicate effectively with my manager and get responses when I need them. New marketer, new role as COVID hit, first remote role. So I'm guessing the question is around, you know, how how can I more effectively communicate with my manager um, to, uh, to, to get everything on track? Who wants to take that one? Uh, yep, I can, I can jump into that one. Um, so it sounds like um, they're requesting more intel from their direct report. Um, so the, the way I would look at it is I would be... I think, I think it's the other way around. I think it's the... It's the um, uh, I'm the employee to, wanting to get into the manager. Yes, the, the employee wants to, wants to get a hold of the manager. Okay, cool. So um, my assumption is um, the manager and is everyone is kind of firefighting. They're as busy as everyone else. And so what I would what I would recommend. I've been a, in a in a situation where um, time is just not available to everyone in the business. Is I would if there's two there's two routes. One is if there are like clear goals, is to actually just write your own um, kind of task list and present it to them and say, if this is on track, give it a tick. If it's not, we need a discussion. Um, and if it's one where there are no goals, it's really worth saying, I can't move forward until I have a clear understanding of where I need to be and that discussion needs to happen. So basically I think like at the top of at the top of any work, like top of the funnel is humans, is, is, is a person doing the work. And if that person is not happy or feeling um, energised, then the work preceding it is not going to work, is not going to flow through, through very well. So trying to jump in at the work level can be a little bit tricky. So I would sit down with the, with the manager and say, hey, we need to set aside 45 minutes and um, explain to you how I'm feeling and how I'm not actually getting to what I need to be. Otherwise, I'm not going to outperform the role that I want. So, for example, what, what we do at, uh, at Who Gives a Crap is we have these monthly one-to-ones which are non-technical, they're non-tactical, there's nothing to do with your project list at all, it's purely to talk about how you feel. And that can be a discussion on where you are right now, what you have done well, what you don't think you've done well, where you could do better, what that manager can um, do to help you. And then that can create the conversation of getting a starting point to then move forward from. So um, if, if you can't actually, there will be a time that you, like I assume we had to actually get in touch with the, with the manager, I would then bring up that first conversation to start clean and then move forward from there. Asking for a task list um, might be jumping past the actual hurdle, which is communicating how you are um, dealing with the situation as it is because there's no point trying to do great work if you don't feel good. So I'd be starting from the point of having that first conversation, yeah, kind of an emotional conversation, for lack of a better word, and then move forward to the task list. Yeah, I think that that's really good advice. I think another thing that we've used, especially with some of the government departments we've been working with, is that the managers are like, especially in this crisis situation, they're like, I am not getting anything done because I'm putting out spot fires constantly with everyone else that's having panics around this. And so um, one of the department leads that we were working with, she set up a... um, like sort of like your open door policy. So like when you're in an office, the door's shut, don't come and knock, I'm doing things, whatever, but the open door thing. And so she set up um, 
an hour a day where there was just a Zoom link that anyone could just pop, it sat in the calendar and she was just available and the, the video call was just open and people could come in and ask questions and what she found was it also meant that a lot of the time um, a few people might be having the same challenges and rather than having to repeat it three times in three different calls that was jamming her calendar um, that they could knock it over in a conversation that was a lot quicker and so it was sort of like a drop-in call, like drop-in call. And that was a really effective way. And so if you're trying to manage up, just suggesting, saying, I understand you're really busy. I love the suggestion of taking your to-do list for almost approval. Like if you do everything that you want them to do, you can also be a bit strategic and stick a few things in there that you just might want to happen as well. And then they sign off on it as well. So I think if you can remove all the barriers to them just saying, yes, get on with it. Um, by handing it to them pretty much on a platter. They love that because you get to do what you want to do and you're also making them look really good at say, look at how well I'm managing that person. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah. Asking for forgiveness is uh, my preferred method rather than approval. And um, weirdly, think you think you might get into trouble, you might kind of ruffle feathers, but as, as Dre mentioned, anything you can do to make your manager's job easier and make them look good, um, they're going to be all on board. I would, I, I've had that happen to myself before. So, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Bowden, let's talk about, let's, let's flip the coin and talk about managers, right? Um, I'm a marketing manager. You know, I manage a team of, of, you know, a, a handful or maybe even larger, um, marketers on the me. What are some of the advice that you would have for someone like this? And I'm like, you know what? I'm constantly busy. There's just messages popping up everywhere. Things are on fire. I'm also worried about my team burning out. I can't answer everything. You know, what what would be an advice that you would have for a, for a marketing manager in, in this situation? Resonated on this call, and I've felt a little bit, especially in the early weeks of moving to remote work, is you can spend your whole time just managing people when you're working remotely because everyone has issues. Um, everyone is... I guess, especially moving from an office environment to a remote working environment, um, people are adjusting and, and they feel like they have to ask questions for everything they're doing. And like you guys have kind of said, bringing their to-do list to you for approval. Um, so I think a big part of it is just making f everyone feel empowered to just get on with their jobs. And like I said earlier, tell them what the, the why is and what the end goal is and just let them figure it out. Like you hired them for a reason. Um, we hire functional leads, especially in marketing. Like everyone has full clarity on what they're doing and they don't have they're not like marketing generalists for like the APAC region or whatever they all have specific roles so if you're coming to me with an idea and you think it's going to um, help you do your job better and, and help the business then I'm not going to stop you from doing it just get on with it and just keep me updated so I think part of it is just letting go and trusting your team and which seems like a common theme of this this webinar and yeah, just letting people get on with it. And then that frees you up to do your job because at the end of the day, you have to report into someone else and do the same thing with your manager. Um, I don't know if that answered the question, but that's been my approach so far. No, it definitely, definitely does. And, and that was kind of like me paraphrasing DJ's question. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about culture, okay? Um, there, there's been two questions, one from, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Paul earlier and uh, from, uh, from, from, from Dilemma right now. I'm, I'm interested to hear your tips on onboarding new team members remotely. This is an area that we're struggling with hugely. I feel like we lost part of our culture from uh, work from home. So 
how do you make sure uh, actually i would like to again start with you Bowden, right with moving remote because um because joe and tim you both have been in the remote environment and i'm going to come back to you on this question but Bowden, when you're moving remote how do you make sure that kind of the culture stays the same and and you are onboarding everyone probably or how did you guys do it with regards to onboarding team members about you know now we're going remote and this is what we want to do and this is how we want to make sure we maintain our our, our our identity and culture yeah i missed half that question because i was typing an answer into the little chat box but, um so we're <laughs> <laughs> remote so most, <laughs> sorry most of my team um were already in the uk and us before um this whole pandemic so i in a sense, I was already a remote manager for those guys, so that that didn't have to change. Um, like a few guys on my team, I have I've never met in person, which is a weird feeling. Uh, I guess it's not a weird feeling in this webinar <laughs> with this audience. Um, <laughs> it's been a weird feeling for me because I, I do have a, a team here, um, but we have pretty strict company values. So candid, ambitious, intelligent, and accountable are our four uh, company values. Um, the two most important ones when you're working remotely out of those four are being ambitious and accountable. Um, so the accountability we track with Asana, um, I mentioned earlier, our project management tool. So the thing I like about it is you can see dependencies. So it's one thing for everyone to have a to-do list and map out a project, but everything has roadblocks. So understanding what those roadblocks are and digging into that, um, it helps the whole team. And I think that's a, a, an additional answer to the question earlier about how do I um, sort of report up to my manager and let them know what I'm doing and get their buy-in. Um, not just talking about what you're doing and what you plan on getting done that week, but also making sure your manager is aware of your roadblocks and what the dependencies are is super important because a lot of the time they will be the roadblock and they might not know it. So um, a good manager and a good leader needs to understand that part of their job is just to get the shit out of the way for their staff. Um, so you, you spend a lot of time just like paving the way for, for the people that report into you. So, um, but at the same time, you should be able to do that with, with your own manager as well. Um, again, I don't know if I answered that question or not, but accountability is super important. Um, and transitioning from, from an office um, to a remote work environment, um, like I said earlier, just empower people, um, make sure they know where they're getting to and not just the the individual operational steps to get there. Gotcha. Joe, what, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what do you think? Um, uh, I think there, there was a lot of good points in, in what you mentioned, Bowden, but Joe, what, how do you make sure that when you're putting someone in a new company, a remote uh, individual, how do you make sure she or he kind of gels very well with that culture, regardless of them being, being remote? Um, I think culture is a really interesting thing and, look, I always get a bit of a reaction when I talk about it because I quite often um, listen to companies saying like, ah, uh, like we go remote or um, culture dies and all of these sorts of things. But when you push on, oh, well, what does culture look like? Oh, well, we've got free beer in the office and we go for drinks after work and we do like long lunches and all of these sorts of things which isn't is that awesome. isn't that culture yeah, isn't, yeah. It, it is for some people and so this is the thing this is where I get to then get on my soapbox about it is that after drinks 
after work drinks realistically for any of the women that are the primary caregiver of their family, Friday drinks doesn't happen because they shoot out of the office to go and do daycare pickup and then do dinner and then a load of washing for the night. That that culture is cool for the people that can participate in it, but that culture is not inclusive. Whereas I feel that when you are doing culture in remote, if you're a, if you're a wholly remote company, um, is again then very different to what a hybrid model looks like. So I think um, culture in a completely remote team is a real leveller. You get to have your um, like your obviously I'm a big advocate for having geographic diversity in your business, but um, being able to get diversity into your business as far as gender, as far as ethnicity, and all of those other bits and pieces, remote culture is a lot more inclusive. Um, hybrid is a lot more challenging um, in that you've got people in the office and some people working remotely. But um, our advice when we're dealing with businesses who work that way is to think remote, regardless of the fact that you are um, a hybrid, think remote because that way you then don't forget or you don't leave out the, um, the, the those that are working remotely. So things like if you're having a team meeting, if even one person is not going to be physically present at that meeting, then everyone jumps on a video call. Everyone goes back to their desk and everyone does it. Um, it's fabulous because you can record it for anyone that might not make it, but then there is none of that thing where you're buggerising around because someone is mute or they, other people are sitting there and all they can hear is people eating their lunch at the table um, rather than and or that the someone up on the screen who someone's muted is trying to say something, um, <laughs> you are not losing it there and that's how you can really then be a lot more inclusive. So the culture piece I find really interesting because, again, like I said, a lot of the pushback I get about the culture that's lost is not particularly inclusive culture in the first place. So, look, that's a rabbit hole that you can go down many which ways, but um, that's very much the piece that I harp on a, a lot about. So when, you, when you're thinking about culture, what does culture actually look like in your business? Um, like we do things that are ridiculous. Like we have a, um, uh, we use Basecamp for our um, internal like project management and comms and things and um, we just have a thing that at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday morning pings everyone to say, righto, send through a hump day selfie. And so everyone just does a selfie of wherever they're working. There's dogs, there's chooks, there's um, kids, there's whatever's happening, but it then is letting everyone have a chat and say, oh, God, look at how much your garden's grown or, geez, look at how long everyone's hair is getting or those sorts of things that then create that um you know, those incidentals you were saying, Bowden, that don't happen, that's how you can almost create your your, your tea room or your, your water cooler chats in a far less intrusive sort of way. Yeah. I think I think that's a really good point that you make with regards to, you know, if you're if you're kind of hybrid and you have some people, which is not the case these days, but treat everything as um as remote. There's always that person that is on a video call. And uh, nobody kind of cares. They're like there on the screen, and everyone's like, "Yeah, we just continue doing this conversation here." Um, gotcha. It's the pits. No, that, it's the pits. Yeah. So, whereas no, then everyone I, I, gets to be, you know, like, and just even okay, if you're having your weekly stand up, allow ten minutes at the start where everyone pops in, and that's where the general banter happens. Like that's when you can no, just you. catch up on things like that. And again, if that was happening with half of the people on a screen or half of the people in a room and they're having a little side conversation, like it just it just doesn't 
it's not conducive. I don't makes think it's sense. conducive to makes remote sense. culture. No, it makes, makes perfect sense. Gotcha. All right. Tim, I want to ask you something about hiring. Um, when, when you're hiring and you said you're in the process of, of making some hires, how do you make sure that they're specifically on the factor that you guys are a completely remote organization? How do you make sure you make the right hire? What do you look for? Yeah. Um, so similar to what I mentioned before, we're on, I think there's probably a few marketers here. So when I talk about the funnel, hopefully that makes sense. But basically the top of the funnel is the, like businesses are made of humans and humans, largely speaking, are they happy or unhappy? And so you want to make sure that at the top of the funnel, your people in your business are happy. So therefore the work um, is, is conducive to um, high productivity and everyone's having fun. No one wants to be doing stuff they hate. It sucks. So in terms of hiring, we um, are a culture first business. So you could be the most um, an absolute wizard in your role, but if you don't play nice with the other kids um, in the in the in the sandpit, so to speak, um, it's just not going to work. Because um, for those of you who have who have managed someone who who doesn't play play nice with other people, it's just it, it ruins the culture of the team. So first and foremost, we have a culture. Um, process a culture interview process um, and that's basically just a 10 to 15 minute phone call very much a gut check situation where you just get a feel for the someone understand where they're at why they want to be there and then we have a five-step process after that so it's a peer interview stage oh, sorry it goes a managerial interview stage which is technical peer interview so the, the other people in the business can get a feel for it um, then there's a homework session which gets to understand how the person thinks and how they deal with doing a real-world task, and then it finalizes with an interview with Simon um, or an executive team member, one of the co-founders. And so throughout the entire process, you're able to chip away at the main factors, which is cultural fit, um, technical fit, peer group fit, and then also see how their work is done. And then by that stage, you've whittled it down to like two or three people and you're pretty close with who you need to go for. But by going for culture first, it just takes out all of that that. That it, it means that top of the funnel process is already sorted and then it's just about tweaking it from there on in. Um, and I think a lot of people underestimate their sense of what their gut check is on someone when they meet them. When you know, when you meet someone and you get a feel for them, you're like, cool, I can hang out with this person, I can work with them. And when you feel like someone's standoffish, you're like, mm, don't feel it. So it's not a very scientific process, but we've got, um, we measure our business with a software program called Culture Amp. Um, on on our on our culture of our business, and we also have free counselling with a um, a software called Uprise, and in the combination of those two, we have one of the highest um, culture scores of startups in Australia um, as a result of this culture first method for the business. Um, I would argue very strongly. I shouldn't say very strongly, but I'd be willing to to debate um, <laughs> that we in a remote culture is um, as good, if not better, than that of an office. And the reason being is you have to actually think about it and work at it, whereas relying on people to just talk at water cooler is not culture. Um, ping pong table, Boom. free beer is not, is not culture. Culture is saying what do we stand for? How do we actually go from the business, like from the CEO down? How do we make sure everyone has the same beliefs? Um, and you have to work at it. Culture is not, doesn't come naturally. You have to have a conscious decision. And when you're in a remote business, um, it forces you to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations and ask someone how they are. I have everyone from new employees all the way up to Simon, our CEO, regularly check in and say, how are you feeling today? What are you up to? What's going on? 
and to genuinely care about someone is probably the best culture you can you can create. So um, I love it. Guys, you heard it here first. A remote culture could be stronger. It's it's be, it's the same, if not better, than a uh, than a uh, in person culture. I love it. Yeah. I love yeah. it. No, and and we can we can finish this call on that note, man. That's uh, yeah, <laughs> that was the message of this webinar. No, I I, I love it. Look, um, thank you so much. We are kind of like running out of time. This like this session has been so interactive. We got so many questions. Um, at least a a good number of questions that I haven't had had a chance to go through. Now, um. One of the things that I want to say is if you jump on our Slack channel, um, I'm going to also ask our uh, our, our speakers if, if they'd be open to uh, to jumping on Slack channels. I think, Tim, you are already on that channel. But, I am? Um, maybe. I don't, I'm not sure. But if if uh, if we're open to that, if, if we have time, you know, we're we can put your questions on that Slack channel. And then we can we can try and answer those questions. Unfortunately, we just don't have enough time to go through everything. I actually didn't get a chance to go through all my questions, but this, I think it was very educational for me. I love this conversation and, uh, and, and everybody else. Now, before we wrap it up, are there any parting thoughts from any of you for, for anyone who's listening on, on remote work, managing remote teams, you know, being a productive marketer while being remote? I've got one thing only that it's just me pushing my own complete agenda here um, I went. I spoke at a conference a couple of years ago, and I had two guys from Melbourne come up to me who both work for marketing marketing companies, and they came and sat in on my session. And I sort of whipped around the group and said, "Oh, why are you interested in doing this?" And two of them said, "This is really weird that I'm saying this, but I came because I've actually never met anyone from the country, and I try and sell stuff to you guys, and I just don't know how to do it." And so I was like, oh, my gosh. And it has been, that comment has been a really, really big driving force for conversations that I have with metro-based businesses, especially marketing companies, in that just flagging that a third of the country lives in rural Australia and um, we buy very differently, we um, behave very differently. And I think that this is where then I, again, can say when you then can include people into your team that live in the regions, the the diversity of thought and access that you get to a much bigger um, part of, of Australian market is um, is really interesting. So, sorry, if you're, I'm going rogue it. with my no, no, plug there. That's but so I good. just I was Actually, really... That, that marketing side of things is just something that the guys were just like, I just genuinely don't know how to sell stuff to you guys. Gotcha. On that note, Joe, and I'm going to go through with everyone. If anybody is interested to know more about you, what you do, or have more questions for you, what's the best way for them to uh, to to get to to reach out to you and, and know more? I stuck my email address in the chat. Um, <laughs> feel free to get in touch. Um, but look, we're on um, on Twitter, on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So feel free to jump in there. Happy Fantastic. to chat, Tim. Um, yeah, email is pretty good. Oh, otherwise, Twitter, Twitter or LinkedIn. Okay. Where can they, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, Tim H Baxter. Done. Bowden. Uh, yeah. Email. I put email, oh. my email address in the Hands chat. Emails in the chat. Email. Thank you very much for that. And, uh, we'll see everyone on the Slack channel. 
make sure you jump that jump on that uh, there's going to be the video recordings and all the events that later on is going to come up it's going to all be there thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you around take care guys thanks yes. thank you guys for for being part of the panel as well no worries Pleasure. thank you bye Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice. And for more B2B growth content, check out our website, growthcolony.org. Looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Have a great day.